Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be in a couple of areas of scriptures. We continue our hard sayings of Jesus through the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be Matthew chapter 5 and Luke, uh, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2. Once again, those areas of scripture are Matthew chapter 5 and Philippians chapter 2. Moms, let me let you know when you pick up your kids today, you are going to get a little special surprise, a little blessing from them straight to your heart that they've been making in Kid Life Ministry just for you. Now, you might be wondering, well, what if I don't have a kid in Kid Life Ministry? What do I do with that? That's your greatest blessing, that you don't have to pick up a little kid any longer at the children's ministry. So you are blessed as well. Amen? Um, We are praying for those of you that have to pick up those kids, and we're praying for those of you that don't have to. Andrea and I have been raising kids for 27 years. Um, Someone asked me if we're ready to empty nests, and I said, yes. Yes, we are. Um, We are looking forward to having some time finally alone. And we know we'll miss them, but we'll buy a smaller house just in case. Um, Matthew chapter 5, Philippians chapter 2. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful for the word, and we are thankful that you've given us the word that we can live by it. And so I pray that as we dissect this area of Scripture, that you would give us spiritual ears to hear and a spiritual heart to understand a mind to grasp so that we can live your way. Let a spirit of humility fall on us. We humbly ask in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 5 as a measure of review, verse 1. And he, seeing the multitudes, speaking of Jesus, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him, just to give you a little bit of first century world teaching, The teacher would sit and then they would teach, unlike us who stand behind a pulpit. So the disciples knew that as he began to sit, that he was calling them to come hear what he had to say. Then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. The first thing that you've got to do is get rid of the American dream mentality and recognize that this is not an American book. It's a God book. It is straight from heaven right to our hearts. And we've got to make sure that we don't put the American dream into this word blessed. I'll never forget when I was in Israel, I looked at my Israeli tour guide and I said to her, older lady from Great Britain, a Jewish wonderful gal, and I said to her, why is Hebrew backwards? And she said, dear friend, And I knew when I heard that, that something was coming. And she said, have you ever wondered that Hebrew is the language of God and maybe English is backwards? And then she made like a kind of noise, letting me know how frustrated she was. And I thought to myself, a cultural faux pas. I put my American mentality into another culture. Be careful that you don't do that when you read the word blessed. We immediately start thinking of some kind of material blessing. There's another thing we need to recognize is that Matthew taught topically. 
He did not teach chronologically. And so he put stories together to prove a point. Would you look with me at Matthew chapter 4? You'll see the beginning of our topic in verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say. He's introducing a new topic, and here it is. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's speaking about the kingdom. He's letting everyone know it's right here, but there's only one way that you can walk into that kingdom. You must repent. Now, I know that uh, that word is not a very politically correct word today, but it is a biblical word. It means a change of mind, a change of heart, a different way of thinking. It's the realization that I don't think like God and I need to change the way I think and I do that through remorse and grief. And I go to God and I say, I realize I don't think like you and I need to change. I'm sorry, God. Would you please forgive me so that I can start thinking your way? This word repent and repentance It's the forerunner to having a true experience with this kingdom mindset. In other words, what Jesus is saying, only believers can grasp the blessing of this life. That's why he's speaking to the disciples. This life that Jesus is about to let us know about, it's so different. We couldn't have possibly thought of it. It's so heavenly that it's so far beyond anything that we would have ever hoped or imagined. It's why Matthew, after Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, would let us know that Jesus called the disciples. And then after he called the disciples and they left their nets and followed him, he would then take them on a mountain and then he would teach his disciples because this truth and these truths are for disciples. You see, these truths, they provide for disciples, believers, attitudes that only God can bless us with. That's why Jesus is blessing us with these words. In other words, these blessings are supernatural. He's blessing us, he's bestowing upon us something we could, would not ever be capable of having. You see, in these... Jesus is granting to us the grace of a supernatural life that doesn't depend on anything that happens on earth. It's a blessing from heaven on our life. And he speaks to these to his disciples. And I'll tell you why he speaks to his disciples. Because God's spirit is within us. Now let me explain what that means. The godly won't understand these blessings. They'll seem upside down. They'll seem like they don't make sense. Like, blessed are you when men persecute you? What in the world are you talking about, Jesus? Isaiah says it best. If you'll take a look at the screen in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 8, Isaiah says this, A highway shall be there and a road. It shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over. In other words, the ungodly, they won't even know to go down this road. They can't understand it. However, but... It shall be for others. In other words, the godly will go down this highway of holiness. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, now that means there's hope for me, shall not go astray. Jesus is blessing us with some heavenly wisdom. 
He's blessing us with a different way to live life. He's giving it to the disciples so that we know how to navigate life by the power of the Spirit no matter what comes our way. What a blessing that he's bestowing upon us. Let me explain the difference. I've literally been over close to 30 years of ministry in hundreds of hospital rooms. I have been in hospital rooms where there are unbelievers about to meet their eternal destination. I have been in hospital rooms where there are believers about to meet their eternal destination. When I go into an unbeliever's room, after so many rooms of going in, I know what to expect. Frustration, anger, anxiety, wonder. And I'm doing everything I can to bring peace into the situation by leading the person to Jesus Christ on their last breath. There's just all kinds of, sometimes there's yelling and sometimes there's like, oh, don't leave me. I can't believe where are you going? Like, it's just unbelievable. And then I'll go into the hospital room of a believer. They're singing worship songs. They're whispering in the ear of the loved one, I'll see you soon. They're talking verses in Scripture and quoting back verses that they've memorized. It's absolute peace. What a blessing. You see, Jesus can only bestow this blessing upon us. And this is the blessing that he bestows. Take a look again, Matthew chapter 5. I'll pick it up there in verse 3. Blessed. Blessed. That's an interesting word. Pastor Jeff did a phenomenal job of introducing us to this last, uh, last week. But this particular word is a measure of review. It's the word makarios. Now, I know I sound like I'm speaking Italian, but it's Greek. It, the word, again, is makarios. Now, let me explain how this word was used. It was only used to describe the heavenly bliss that the Greek gods experienced on Mount Olympus. So whenever you were talking about it, usually you were reading about it in a book, And someone was describing the heavenly bliss that was going on up at Mount Olympus. But Jesus, he uses the term, and look what else he says in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not only do I find it interesting that he used a term that was used only really for the gods up in uh, Mount Olympus, but he also uses the present form of the verb to be are, and is. Now take a look at verse 4. You'll see that he uses a different tense. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be, future tense, comforted. So in one verse he says they will be in the future, but in the first verse, verse uh, verse 3, he says are and is. You see, he's speaking about a state of being that we can experience right now and today. That's why he said earlier in Matthew chapter 4, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a kingdom life that's available for us today. Now let's kind of put all these thoughts together for just a moment as we understand this word blessed. This heavenly bliss is not just found for the stories of the Greek gods and how they found their happiness. For if you were to read first century books, well, they found their happiness through debauchery lusts, fleshly desires, and all those kinds of things. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, I mean, wow, I mean, debauchery and lust. I mean, why is Jesus using this word? I'm glad you're thinking that. Because those things, they lead to the pain of addictions. 
I mean, sexual immorality leads to broken relationships. And, well, drinking too much just gives you a hangover headache. I mean, there's nothing happy about those things. Jesus, why are you using this word? But when he uses this word, blessed, he surely gets their attention. Let me give you an example. Imagine I got up today and I said, the sermon today is entitled, God is Awful. Some of you already went, like, I can't believe you just put those two words together. Some of you are thinking, now, is Pastor Jeff coming back next week? Because I'm like, if that's your sermon title, we've got a major issue with you. God is awful. But if I was to say this just 100, 200 years ago in Great Britain, and I was Charles Spurgeon, and I stood behind the pulpit, and I said, God is awful. Everyone listening would know I was saying that God is awe-filled. He's awesome. Because that's what the word originally meant. You see, now it means disgusting, awful. Now it means vile. In fact, it's the worst form of vile. And if I needed to introduce this word, I would have to redefine it for you. I'd have to redeem it for you. I would have to make it new for you. Well, can I let you know? That's what Jesus is in the business of doing. He's in the business of making all things new. And while the enemy had taken this word and described it as all the debauchery that was going on at Mount Olympus, Olympus, Jesus redeems the word and makes it new. And what Jesus is communicating is exactly what he communicates in the rest of the sermon. You have heard it said, but I say to you, He's going to reveal God's truth about this word. And here's what he's saying. In the redemption of this word, he says, heavenly bliss is available for you. You can find heavenly bliss right here on earth. And let me tell you who it's available to. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Humility. It takes humility to experience this blessed life. You see, this is not just poor. The word that Jesus chooses to use, it's abject poverty. It's utter helplessness. You're completely destitute. Do you remember that saying, God helps those who help themselves? That was created by the devil. It's just not true. You see, what Jesus is making very clear here is God helps those who are completely unable to do anything for themselves. And Matthew gives us a picture of this in Matthew 14. Do you remember the story in Matthew 14 where Peter thinks he's hot stuff? He's walking on water. He's looking back at James and John like, look at me, dude. Like, (laughs) you didn't believe, but I did. And all of a sudden, water hits him in the face. He looks around. He looks down and goes... He drops down in the water. He's utterly helpless. He's completely destitute. And you know what he does? He reaches up his hand and he goes, Jesus! Because he knew that Jesus could save him. He was poor. And he recognized, I'm a beggar. But this phrase, poor in spirit, it's not just a statement. It's actually a foundation. It's a foundation of every other principle found in the Beatitudes and found in the Sermon on the Mount. 
It prepares us for the end of the message. Jesus is an incredible teacher. He begins with humility because he's leading to a point. And it's the point that Matthew is trying to prove. Go with me to Matthew 7. I'm going to show it to you. Matthew chapter 7, the end of the message, actually began at the beginning of the message. Take a look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, therefore is therefore because it's concluding the whole message. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Did you hear that? Because it's going to take a lot of humility on your part to hear and do the words of Christ. And Jesus knows that. So he's blessing us with humility, something that only he can do. He's blessing us with humility so that we can hear and do the words of Christ. Now, those of you that have children that are little, you'll remember this, uh, or you'll know this. Those of you that used to have children, I hope you can remember this. Maybe you've blocked it out of your mind. Do you remember when you gave your kids like a new bike or a desk or a Lego set, and they, you would give it to them and they would go, you would go to help them and they would say, I can do it. I got it. Leave me alone. I, I, I can do it. I can do it. And they want to prove to you, I can do it. And then finally, this Lego rocket that you give them looks like a donkey, and they realize, I can't do it. But you have the answer. And so they'll look at you at their young age, and they'll say, please help. Because all of a sudden, they've realized you have the words of eternal life. You are the only one that can help them. And they have been humbled in that moment to realize that you've got the wisdom to help them get out of the problem that they're in. You see, humility is where wisdom is found. And you get to build your house on the rock of Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you like it when Jesus says, turn the other cheek? Who would have you, which one of you would have come up with that? Which one of you would have come up with when someone forces you to go one mile, go two miles? None of us would. And so when someone slaps us in one cheek, thank God Jesus has given us wisdom on what to do. But we need the humility to be able to receive the word so that we do what Jesus has told us to do. Now, let me tell you what happens. Great benefit. When you're humble enough to do what God has called you to do, you're actually building your house on a rock. And when the storms of life comes your way, you know exactly what to do because you're humble enough to do it the way that God would have you to do it. And guess what? Your house will stand. Now, many of you know I was a missionary in Liberia, West Africa for years. And we had a church that literally built their house on the sand. And I told them, what are you guys doing? Do you not read the Bible? Like if you build your house right here on the sand, right on the beach, your church is going to come tumbling down. No, it won't. Read the Bible. Seven years later, I got a phone call. Uh, Pastor Chet, we had a storm, and um, we never would have thought this happened. And um, our church blew away. Can we borrow just a few thousand dollars so that we can rebuild our church? I was sad for them, but there was nothing more glorious than me saying, I told you so. 
you can't prove the word of God wrong. It will always be true. And their church built on the sand was washed away. And we've got to be careful that we're not like that church and don't listen to what Jesus has to say so that when the storm comes our direction, we get blown away as well. You see, humility is a lifestyle. That's why Jesus says this. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. This phrase, Jesus communicates it in Luke chapter 24, verse 15. Luke 24, verse 15. So it was while they conversed in reason that Jesus himself, there it is, drew near and went with them. In other words, it was Jesus who owned it, Jesus who went with them. So the Bible repeats itself and says, Jesus himself. And what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, verse 3, the kingdom is for you, no other person. It's for you because you're humble. It belongs to you, and it actually gives you access into all the other graces that he is about to bless us with. If we're humble, we can receive, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, love your enemy. If we're humble, even though we don't like what he says, we can still receive what he says. Now listen to how James put it. James chapter 4, verse 6. Now this is the brother, half-brother of Jesus. He says this. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists or God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In other words, he begins here with humility because there's more blessings yet to come to help us to navigate life. I want you to see this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, if you notice, he doesn't say the poor in soul. The Bible separates feelings from faith. Let me prove it to you. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. You're going to see it on the screen. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. You'll see it on the screen. Maybe you'll write it in your notes. For the word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Let me tell you what the Bible does. The Bible divides between feeling and faith. Let me express what the Bible is communicating. God is not really concerned about how you feel what he says. His concern is to conform you into the image of Jesus. So if you don't like when he says, forgive, and you want to hold on to your resentment, you're lacking humility. When you want to kind of get around the rules and cheat a little bit, but God has asked you to be pure and righteous. Well, I mean, not everyone's Jesus. You're lacking in humility. Because Jesus made it very clear. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by some of the words that God speaks, and especially not the ones that you don't really feel good about. No, that's not what he says. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by 
every, not some of the words, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And if we're truly humble and we recognize that, then it doesn't matter about how we feel. We get direction on every aspect of life. Let me give you Jesus as an example. Do you know that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was not singing, oh, happy day, happy day. That's not what he was singing. I get to go to the cross today. Like, that was not his tune. His tune was a posture of humility. He was on his knees, so distressed about what's about to happen, he's dropping sweats of blood. Can I let you know he didn't feel like going to the cross? This wasn't a feeling he was trying to conjure up. But he knew God wanted him to go. So when they came and he had his moment... And the disciples, they were going to protect Jesus. And Peter, he goes with his sword and he cuts off Malchus's ear. Do you know what Jesus does? Great insurrection. I don't have to go to the cross. Nope. He bends down. Imagine the scene, okay? He bends down, grabs the ear. He's got the man's blood on his hands because he's about to die for this man's sins. And he puts the ear back on and he looks at Peter and he says this, Scripture will be fulfilled in my life. This is happening and Scripture must be fulfilled. He was not living his life based on his feelings. He was living his life in humility before God because God wanted him to go to the cross for you and for me. You see, in this posture, amen, in this posture of humility, he was before the throne room of God. And you can't help but be humble before God when you're in the throne room. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to read it for you, verse 5. It'll be on the screen. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. So I said, woe is me, for I'm undone. Now remember, Isaiah is in front of God in the throne room. He says, woe is me, for I'm done. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. Here's what he's saying. I'm standing in the presence of God. I dropped my knees and realized, oh my goodness, I'm unclean and I'm surrounded by dirty people. He humbles himself before the Lord. Because you can't be in the presence of God without humility. We have a man in our church, and I don't know if you know, but he cleans up after you. He is a successful business person. But God has called him to make sure that this place is clean when you walk in. You don't see him going out in the lobby going, hey, does everyone know I cleaned it? (laughs) That's me. You wouldn't even know him, and I'm not going to take his reward from him. You wouldn't even know him. But he's not making sure that everyone knows. No, he's just doing what God has called him to do. There's no pretense about him. There's no like, he's got to show you that he's a servant and that he's doing his work. Sometimes I'll meet people and I'll go, hey, how you doing? And they want to show like they're all holy. And they go, well, praise God, glory, Jesus, hallelujah. I'm doing great. I'm in the heavenlies. In fact, I'm in the third realm. I mean, I'm looking down and I'm seeing glory to God. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> like, 
And they put out this huge, like, overwhelming response. And it's like, I want you to know I'm in the front of the presence of God each and every day. Let me tell you how I'll know you're in the presence of God each and every day. Humility. Because you can't stand before God without being humble. You see, we've got to understand something. Jesus is the one blessing us with humility because he's the humble one. He's able to bless us with humility like he's able to give us eternal life because he's life. He's able to give us humility because he's humble. He says it of himself. It's Matthew chapter 11. You'll see it on the screen. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Jesus is talking about himself. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly. I'm gentle and humbly in heart, humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Do you remember in Zechariah 9, 9, when it was prophesied about Jesus that he would come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and he is lowly riding on a donkey? Zechariah prophesied that he would be humble. Jesus is confirming that he's humble. Now, some of you might be thinking, wait a second. When someone in my meeting, and I'm sitting at a meeting, and someone goes, hey, I'm pretty humble. The first thing I'm thinking is, dude, if you've got to tell me, like, you are not humble. That's like when you're driving by a restaurant, and it says the world's most famous steak. If they have to tell you, don't go. Like, don't go to that restaurant. Because if you don't know prior to driving by, don't go to that restaurant. I'm telling you. So when someone goes, hey, I'm humble, like Moses. Remember Moses? I'm the most humble man on the face of this planet. Really, Moses? You know, like you just, no, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying in the Hebrew is, I'm the most humiliated man on the face of the earth. God has humbled me. And Jesus, he's saying, I'm humble. Now, we've got to remember something. Matthew is writing this. Matthew has watched Jesus. He's witnessed the testimony of Jesus. And when he's trying to prove kingdom life, he knows that he can say that Jesus is humble and report the words of Jesus because he watched him be humble. And Matthew wanted the whole world to know anyone can come to Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Whether you're in the heights or you're in the humility, God wants you to know you can come to him. Let me explain it like this. I'm a parent. Have you ever had a rebellious little kid who, I can do it and I'm going to go my way and this is just how it is? Well, as a parent, when you got a little kid like that, you get down on your knees and you're like, come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Now, as the parent, I like to think of myself as the superior. Now, my kids don't always agree with that. And I like to look at my children as the inferior. In other words, I've got more wisdom, I've got more years, and I know how to put the Lego together. So what I'll do is I'll get down on my knees and I'll stretch out my arms and I'll say, come to me. I'm making an invitation by humbling myself and saying on my knees, I want to help you. That's what Jesus is doing. He's the ultimate parent that's reaching out his arms, saying, listen, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're going through. Why don't you choose to come to me? And the reason why Matthew is reporting this 
is because the religious leaders of the time were the exact opposite of Jesus. They were arrogant. They were prideful. In fact, Jesus tells a story in Luke's gospel, chapter 18, about two different guys. One's a Pharisee, the religious leader of the day, and one's a tax collector. And the Pharisee goes into the temple, and the Bible says he prays to himself. In other words, God wasn't listening. And what he says is this, I'm so glad I'm not like him, the dirty tax collector. Listen to the pride. Christian, listen to this. And then you have the tax collector. He goes in the temple and he says, oh God, have mercy on me. And Jesus responds and he says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, he went down to his house justified, or he went down saved, rather than the other or the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Listen to the promise of Scripture. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, Jesus is the one to teach us humility because he is humble. And the greatest display of his humility was on the cross. Would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2? Because there are some principles in Philippians chapter 2 that Paul pulls out for us that we can take a look at the humility of Jesus and purpose to be just like him. It's Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to pick it up there in verse 5. Look what Paul says at the humility of Jesus. He says, verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus, he set an example of humility, and Paul is saying, it's time for you to start thinking like Jesus. Do you remember in John 13 when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? He took off his garments. He became low. In fact, the lowest of the lowest servants. He purposed to become lowly as a display of his humility. And I want you to write it down. It's the very first measure that we can learn from Jesus. Purpose to take the lowly position. You've got a purpose to do it, just like Jesus. Jesus purposed to come as a baby. He purposed to wash the disciples' feet. It was a constant purpose of his to take the lowly position. Paul would say this, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. We've got to be thinking lowly. I'm going to read verse 6 to you in the New Living Translation. Listen. He had equal status with God. But he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of his status no matter what. He didn't come going, listen, I don't know if you know this, but I'm God, so start treating me like it. No, no, no. The Bible says he came to serve. He taught a sermon on, if you want to be first, you got to be last. He said the Son of Man came to serve. I'm purposed to take a lowly position. Go on, take a look at verse 6. I'm going to read it now from the New King James Version. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He didn't consider it robbery. In other words, he didn't feel robbed of his rights because he came as the God-man. No, write it down. He was so humble that he was content with gratitude. Following the example of Jesus is realizing this is who I am. This is what God has made me to be, and I'm going to be content. He wasn't fighting to seize position and posture and prominence and power. In fact, Jesus ran from it. He would heal people and then slip into the crowd. He was purposing to be lowly, but he was content with what God had given him. 
He displays this contentment on the cross. There he is fulfilling what God had called him to do. And he said to the crowd that was jeering him, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Some of you really want to sing. But you can't. And then you call us to uh, try out for the worship team. Then you make us tell you, you really can't sing. Now you know you can't sing. But you really want to. But you're really great with kids. And some of the worship team, they're not great with kids. But you're really great with kids. And so we've got a need in the children's ministry and we have a need in the worship team. Are you content with what God has given you or do you always want what everyone else has? Contentment with gratitude? You see, whether Jesus had a few fish, he gave thanks, or whether he had a few disciples after everyone forsook him, he gave thanks. He was content with gratitude. He didn't consider himself robbed that he came to be the Son of Man. Going on, the Scripture says in Philippians chapter 2, But he made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. If you're taking note, I want you to write it down. Number three, he was confident in his calling. He's a bondservant. That's who he was. He knew his role. He knew his calling. He was committed to it no matter what. He was going to do exactly what God called him to do. In fact, Isaiah would say he would not be the one crying out in the streets. He wouldn't be telling everybody, hey, I'm Jesus, come follow me. Because he wanted people to follow him by faith. And he was confident in that calling that he didn't have to prove it to everybody else. He just lived the humble life. But he came in the likeness of men. Now that's important for us in this step of humility. In other words, write it down, he was dependent upon the Holy Spirit. He came just like you and me. The Bible said that he did his powerful acts. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, you can read it for yourself. His powerful acts were done in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was dependent on the Spirit. In the same way, in our likeness, we're dependent on the Spirit to do what God is asking us to do. And if He's asking you to forgive, He's going to give you the power to forgive. If He's asking you to go to Romania, He's going to give you the power to go to Romania. You'll get your passport in 12 days instead of 6 weeks. It's just what He does if we'll choose to be dependent on His Spirit. But I want you to see something more important right there in verse 7. Take a look. The Bible says in verse 8, I'm sorry, and being found in the appearance of as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Finally, his humility was displayed in his obedience despite the cost. Jesus didn't go in the garden, I'm not going to do it. I don't feel it. It's not, I'm not feeling it today. The whole nail thing, I'm out like the whip. Woo! No, we're not doing that one day. I'm having a bad day. Let's try tomorrow. Listen, wife. Listen, listen, wife, for just a moment. Because the Bible says to respect your husbands. And even if they don't obey, But you're supposed to win them over with your good, moral, chaste conduct. Listen, husbands. 
you have a responsibility to love your wife. Kids, listen. Honoring your parents is a direction from God. Are we humble enough to receive it and respond to it in obedience? And we know the fruit of his humility. Look at verse 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted him. Okay, church. Let's think about the alternative. We be, we're exalted if we're humbled. But let's go the pride route. Let's just take pride. Let's say, I'm going to do it my way. I did a funeral once, and at the funeral, they sang the song, I did it my way. I couldn't believe it. And I wondered, and they weren't believers. And I wondered if God just allowed them for a moment to listen to their song at their funeral, wondering, why did I do it my way? Let's just say you decide, I'm not going God's way. I'm not going to take this blessing of humility. I'm not going to see life or listen to God's words, and I'm not going to do it. Isn't it exhausting to feel like you can never make a mistake because you think you're better than anyone else? It's exhausting. Let me me give you another example. Do you realize the position you're in if you don't receive this blessing? You're in opposition to God. God opposes the proud. Do you know what it means to be in the opposition? It means you're in the enemy's camp. You're part of another kingdom. And let me tell you what he offers. Death and destruction. So which one you want? I choose humility. And though I don't like sometimes the thing that God tells me to do, I'd rather follow the example of Jesus and get on my knees in my garden of Gethsemane and go his way no matter what it costs me. Amen? Amen. Father, I come before you and I believe in a crowd this size there are those who have been walking in a way that has not submitted to your authority. And so, Spirit, I'm asking you to move in a powerful way in this room. In an attitude of prayer, you're listening to this message and you know in your spirit God's word has spoken to you about certain matters in your life and you've not been humble enough to receive those words and respond in obedience. Today is the day to start living the blissful kingdom life and respond to God. You've been the husband that doesn't love your wife or the wife that hasn't respect her husband. You're living in unforgiveness. And he says, I want you to forgive, but you're not humble. You haven't received the blessing of kingdom life because you want to go your way. Problem is, it's not been working out. Today's a day of change. You can receive the blessing of humility and know God's word for your life and choose to respond. And I'm going to ask you to take a step of humility. If today's your day that you're going to respond to God in obedience and maybe for the first time with this particular thing in your life, then I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and come forward. 
because we want to pray for you. Now, here's what's going to happen. You're going to hear around this auditorium people giving an applause because one sinner who repents, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God. Now, here's what's happening. You know I'm talking to you, and you're wishing I would stop talking so you can get up here. But the enemy's going to hold you back because he doesn't want you to take the step of humility. Because he knows once you take a step of humility, all of the other graces of God get poured out on you. And the last thing he wants is for you to hear and do and build a wise house because the storm's coming. He just hasn't told you about it yet. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.